This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs and with me are Dashran Johan and Hezrel Ashraf. So it's World Book and Copyright Day today, which is celebrated annually on the 23rd of April to promote reading, publishing and the protection of intellectual property through copyright. So we're going to explore all things books today and also speak to Matthew Yap, the winner of the Kesa Futures Writing Competition, which was designed to gain an inside view of the experiences and thoughts occupying Malaysian psyches during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yep, and on that note, we're asking you on Twitter, what's been your favourite book that you've read during the pandemic? You can share that with us on our Twitter at BFM Radio. You can also WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. That's right. And to borrow from poet and novelist uh, Herman Hesse, among the many worlds that man uh, did not receive as, as a gift from nature but created out of his own mind, the world of books is the greatest. Without the word, without the writing of books, there is no history, there is no concept of humanity. And if anyone wants to try to enclose in a small place, in a single house or a single room, the history of the, of the human spirit and to make it his own, he can only do this in the form of a collection of books. So he wrote that stunning paragraph Paragraph which just gave me goosebumps <laughs> in, his, in his 1930 essay titled The Magic of the Book Fun is posthumously mm. published My Belief Essays on Life and Art. So to put it simply, when books fall open, we fall in. That's right. <laughs> and now that Dash has so beautifully set up the tone for us all uh, about how awesome books are, here's a quick 101 on World Book Day. So the idea for celebrating this day um, actually originated in Catalonia where on the 23rd of April, which is also St. George's Day, a rose is traditionally given as a gift for each book sold. And today's date is also symbolic for world literature as on this date and on the same year actually which is 1616, Cervantes, Shakespeare and Inca Garcilaso de la Vega all passed away. Very poetic there, yeah. somehow. <laughs> uh, now, now, World Book Day celebrations are governed by uh, UNESCO, and each year, UNESCO and the international uh, organizations representing the three major sectors of the book industry, so publishers, booksellers, and libraries, they select the World Book Capital for a one-year period through its own uh, initiatives and the impetus of the day celebrations, effective uh, April 23rd each year. So this year, the city of Tbilisi in Georgia was selected as the World Book capital for 2021 uh, and if you uh, remember Kuala Lumpur was actually the host for uh, last year um, but sadly the, the COVID-19 pandemic put a halt to many of the planned events uh, for the year yeah. yeah and speaking of the pandemic in UNESCO's message for World Book Day this year they spoke about how during uh, lockdowns and enforced social and physical distancing books have Proved to be powerful tools to combat isolation, reinforce ties between people, expand our horizons, whilst uh, stimulating our minds and creativity. In some countries, the number of books read uh, had doubled. That's right. And according to an article in Mental Floss, uh, when most of the world went into lockdown at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, many people found themselves with a lot of extra free time, right? Um, mm-hmm. Some people used that time, of course, I think we all remember baking bread. Uh, yeah. There was yeah. So <laughs> much of that. craft making, um, <laughs> video games. and But of course, you know, for the bibliophiles of the world, quarantine was the perfect chance to burn through that pile of books to read, right? And the editing and proofreading service, which is called the Global English Editing, they sort of gathered 
statistics from various sources, including Pew Research and Amazon's bestseller page. And what they found was that 35% of web users and uh, web users worldwide, sorry, reported reading more during the pandemic, and 14% said that they read significantly more. And this trend was most dramatic in China, where 44% of respondents said they increased their reading time due to the coronavirus. Yeah, and of course, you know, this uptick uh, was apparent in March 2020 when many countries, uh, you know, implemented coronavirus lockdowns for for the very first time. Uh, And there were 1.51 billion visits to book and literature e-commerce sites that month. That's an 8.5% increase uh, from the month before, from February 2020. So as for what books people you know, are reading, apocalyptic fiction like Stephen King's, uh, The Stand has been you know, quite popular in the age of COVID, <laughs> COVID-19. <laughs> um, well, in another article from the New York Times, print book sales had their best year in a decade in 2020 um, in the US. So this was according to BookScan, which tracks sales of physical books um, and uh, who reported that unit sales rose 8.2% uh, with juvenile fiction leading the way. And 2020's top-selling print book in the US was A, a Promised Land, which is the book by former President Barack Obama. Now, ebook sales also increased, uh, reverse, uh, reversing a long decline, according to the Association of American Publishers. And people relied more on audiobooks too. So downloads of audiobooks in 2020 rose 16.5% compared with uh, 2019, and this is according to the AAP. Yeah, and looking through the bestseller lists, uh, reading tastes, you know, were greatly influenced by the news with people flocking uh, to books related to uh, the pandemic and the body, uh, the human body, right, including John M. Berry's uh, The Great Influenza and James Nestor's Breath. And aside from that, many researchers also found that there were some striking patterns in media consumptions uh, in the early part of the pandemic. Uh, books about literal, literal and metaphorical isolation, like Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar and Gabriel Garcia Marquez's novels, uh, 100 Years of Solitude and Love and the Time of Cholera were, were among those that saw a big rise in sales. And and as I said just now, right, beyond the books, uh, a lot of people were, were looking at other forms of media on, uh, you know, uh, re- uh, on streaming services. And among the highest rentals were things like 20 day, 28 Days Later, Contagion, <laughs> and Outbreak. And, and I don't know if, if you both have watched uh, World War Z, but I watched yes. it last yes, year. Yes. And I just realized that... Um, so, so the infection time uh, from from zombie to, for a human to become a zombie was twenty seconds, mm. and that's that's interesting because twenty seconds is the amount of time we need to wash our hands to prevent hand to mouth transmission of the coronavirus. Mm. <laughs> And I was like, wow. I mean, that book was written way before this. Did you come up with that on your own? Or was that something that was written about? That 20 uh, seconds, um, thing, that correlation. Was that something you came up with on your own as well? Uh, that was the, oh, the for the hand? Yeah, the hand. yeah. I don't know. It was with just... World War Z and the zombies. You oh, know, that, oh, that connection. That, that was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was me, like, you know, thinking pandemic scenarios, okay. like the worst case. And and I and I actually thought about what I would do if, if something like that happened and... I don't have a plan yet. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, do keep us posted if a plan does come up. But, you know, some other academics from, um, this is the Aston University in the UK, they conducted some research on the reading habits among the UK public, you know, at this time round, and findings showed that the COVID-19 lockdown changed not only how people read during times of stress, but also what people turn to for comfort or distraction. So in terms of genre choice, despite the early figures showing a spike in interest for content about pandemics and isolation, you know, kind of like the stuff that you guys were mentioning just now, it appears that people 
really actually quickly tired of these topics and many respondents um, started seeking out subject matters that were you know, at least predictable, you know, if not mm. necessarily comforting. And mm. many found solace in the security of more sort of formulaic genres, like so think whodunits and, and those types of thrillers. Um, and others found themselves significantly less picky about genre than they were before the lockdown. They just read more and more widely. Hmm. Now, many found the lockdown to be a great opportunity to explore things they didn't normally have the time or desire to read, um, like hefty classics that seem too dull or heavy to bring on a commute, or to fill other gaps in knowledge. Um, the protests over the over police brutality and racism in the US, for example, were cited frequently as the catalyst for many readers seeking out more texts by non-white authors. So respondents generally reported that they were reading more than usual. Um, this was largely due to having more free time, you know, due to being furloughed or not having uh, not having a commute or the usual social obligations or leisure activities. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. How was it like for you guys? You know, did, um, you know, during the lockdowns, during the MCOs, did you find that you had more time to read or mm. did the pandemic change your reading patterns? Hmm. I I think in general, I haven't been reading as many books as I would like to. Um, this is regardless of the pandemic. But yes, um, I, I think... I don't know whether I've, I read more because of the pandemic, mm. um, but I do relate to, you know, the people who like to read familiar things mm. um, because of the pandemic. I realized that my movie patterns also during the pandemic, especially when I'm at home alone, it's become, I used to just explore a lot more, but I was looking for more comfort. So the book that I reread uh, recently during the pandemic was Game of Thrones. I'm still reading mm. it uh, <laughs> because really? it's, you know, that's it's comforting. <laughs> <laughs> All that murder, blood and yeah, yeah. That's the thing. You know, the, the, another, another book that I picked up and read for the first time, you know, comforting, is Ezra Klein, uh, this uh, Vox uh, journalist now is with New York mm. Times. He wrote this book called Why We Are Polarized. Oh, so Game of Thrones, um, you know, Red Wedding and Why We Are Polarized. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, comfort reading. Comfort reading for the pandemic. And Dash's definition yeah. of comfort is slightly different from ours. Definitely different from mine because uh, my, my comfort was travel. So mm. I, I was, I was uh, reading... Uh, travel magazines, mm. so things like Monocle, and, and and for me, I think it was the just the comfort of um, you know being transported uh, through the writing, because because it's quite I, I think it's nice to read, but it, you know there there is a sense of uh, you know accuracy, um, you know there's truth in it, so that kind of magazine journalism. Um, but I, I do have to say that I had an, an unhealthy, I don't know if you called it unhealthy, but an unhealthy habit of reading. COVID-19 articles. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like I, and this wasn't, you know, for, for a time I would Google COVID vaccine every day. Gosh. Um, and to, to follow the progress of, of the, I think the AstraZeneca vaccine, you know, AstraZeneca at the time. And, um, and yeah, I, I don't know why, but the vaccine development thing I was sort of obsessed with. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, um, I was on the evening edition uh, last year and we were covering the Health DG's press conferences. So so I would always read uh, articles on the number of cases and where where the cases were. Mm -hmm. I don't think either of us did a good job at comforting yeah. ourselves. No, no. That's yeah, what okay. I'm so, so that that's, yes. that's my... <laughs> quote-unquote comfort what about you, dashes Juliet? version yeah <laughs> well i uh, because you know work was work right so mm -hmm. we were forced to to deal with the you know pandemic news right there was no escaping mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. but back home of course there was the children to contend with right so my reading was 
fairy tales. My reading was, you know, all children's books, which was actually in a way comforting. Yeah, Yeah, it was comforting. And, you know, uh, we tried to find nice books because they couldn't Mm. go out, right? Especially the first MCO. We couldn't even leave the house and, Mm. you know, they were so bored. So it was really nice to sort of explore some of of the books from my childhood. Um, Even though they might not have understood, they just enjoyed listening to their parents Mm. read, right? So for for me, that was a lovely experience and definitely not like you boys and like, um, (laughs) actually a lot of the people in the respondents from all these surveys, right, Mm. who sort of went to all these weird sort of I guess um, zombie movie, zombie books and, you know, those sorts of... Just trying to find the relation between what we are going through and, you know, like zombies and all. Try to make sense of it, right? Make sense of the craziness that is reality. But, I mean, was reading ever a source of comfort for you? I mean, today it is World Book Day and Mm. we're talking about how it's Mm. a form of comfort. But was that something for you as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, Like, I think the book that... I I was always, you know, my parents always read to me when I was like growing up. And also, I think I sort of picked up the habit from there. But the book that really, you know, changed it all uh, was Harry Potter. Mm. So I watched the first movie, then I started reading the books. And I was like, I think I remember an age where I only read Harry Potter, which means I'll finish book one to book uh, seven, and then I'll start again. And I'll just go again. And I just found so much... um, joy uh, immersing myself in the mm. world that I that for like I think a two year period that was the only books I just kept read, reading it again and again and again yeah well when I was in school books were a form of retreat for me you know just mm-hmm. to to get the different textures and visuals and emotions and uh, you know I grew up reading Khaled Hosseini's uh, A Thousand Splendid Sons and mm-hmm. Yan Martel's Life of Pi long before long before it was a movie, term movie mm-hmm. right and um, so but but I would always um up to a point, actually, when when I was in university, I read less books because I had found that when I read a certain book, um, I would get emotionally drawn into it, mm-hmm. and it would actually take several days, uh, weeks sometimes, depending on the book, for me to dissociate myself from the emotions their okay. characters were feeling. So if you know, if it was like a sad, you know, just you know, like a thousand splendid suns, right? Something, mm-hmm. something, just you know, bad, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that frame of mind. So I, I connected, I latched on to the characters very quickly when I read books. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, for me, though, it was a source of comfort, definitely, because mm-hmm. it was escapism, right? It was just a way to to get out. It was the way to become part of the Fellowship of the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, it yes. was, you know, yeah. anything, anything <laughs> just to escape the monotony of mm-hmm. daily life. So for me, yes, definitely. Uh, but, you know, tell us how it's like for you. Do you enjoy reading? Is it a form of escapism for you? Did the pandemic change your reading patterns? Tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a WhatsApp message at 018-789-8899. Uh, we're going to go for a quick break. But when we come back, we'll be joined by Matthew Yap, whose short story, Murray, was the first prize winner in the English category for the Kesa Futures competition. And that was a competition organised by UNDP Malaysia, Singapore, Brunei and Brunei Darussalam in partnership with MITE, University Malaya and Think City. So we're going to find out what his story was all about this World Book Day after this. Stay tuned to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm Julia Jacobs and with me are Hezrul Ashraf and Dashran Johan. And today we're observing World Book and Copyright Day, which is celebrated annually on the 23rd of April uh, in order to promote reading, publishing and the protection of intellectual property through copyright. But today we're kind of mainly focusing on the love of reading and books, right? And mm. also how the pandemic has changed people's reading patterns and sort of the genres that they have gravitated towards during these crazy times. Yeah, and speaking of uh, these crazy times, UNDP Malaysia, Singapore, 
Singapore, uh, Brunei Darussalam, together with Might, um, University Malaya and Think City, got together to organise the Kesa Futures competition, which was designed to gain an inside view of the experiences and thoughts occupying the Malaysian psyche during the COVID-19 pandemic. So they called on writers to explore how the pandemic has affected our lives, what solutions there were to, to challenges, and going further, what do we imagine the future to be? So Malaysians were invited to submit very short stories of no longer than 700 words on themes relevant to to future post-COVID-19 scenarios. And local writers delivered the goods, right? According to the organisers, they received close to 700 submissions and stories range from utopian and dystopian stories with genres ranging from romance to even science fiction. That's right. And the winner for the English language category uh, is Matthew Yap, whose story Murray is set in the year 2040 in the future. And he's joining us uh, on the line right now to tell us more. Um, well, Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Before we get to your story, um, Mari, you know, I think a lot of us were reminded about the importance of books and reading for comfort and escapism, especially during this pandemic. You know, has it has it been the same for you? Yes, it was. Um, I I've always enjoyed reading books where um, the world has changed in some drastic fashion, and the characters find themselves living in unfamiliar times. And so I started reading or rereading quite a number of books, which I love where um, the world has sort of ended in a way and the characters reflect on how they have lived in the original world, the old world, and what they miss, what they enjoy, what they mourn for, which has been lost. I read a lot of, I've reread a lot of Anne Frank, you know, especially the, the first five weeks when she got her diary and she was living in the final weeks of her freedom without knowing it, much like the rest of us were at the start of 2020, when uh, you know we were free to move and go about and see each other before our self-imposed isolation. So yeah, um, that's the same for me, I guess. Now, before the pandemic, were there certain types of books that you were more drawn to? And I guess that changed a bit during the pandemic, would you say? Um, my area of specialization for my work is young adult fiction and um, science fiction. So that's always been what I've been, I, I gravitate towards. And these are areas where, you know, these are genres where there are a lot of apocalyptic stories and, and characters have lost a world they used to live in. So I found myself um, very much pulled back to those narratives where they, they miss the small comforts of the old world. And it kind of reminded me of how we were going through that as well. We live in a drastically changed world. And it was comforting to see um, literature, you know, giving us um, a reflection of that. Yeah, I guess it's sort of to say that this is just part of life, right? Part of history. It's, it's happened before. Uh, you know, it's going to happen again. And just That's right. And we, uh, it reminded me very much of how we should, you know, just savor the day-to-day mundane things in life, oh, yes. which it, literature is very great at capturing and we don't really take it, oh, we take it for granted. So it was a really good reminder. And this being World, World Book Day, right? Take us back to the start. How did you develop a love for reading? I actually didn't enjoy reading when I was much younger, but um, I got into Harry Potter like everyone else did, I guess. So okay. that was my start to reading. But what really kept the momentum was when I, I found other young adult um, sci-fi books like the Animorphs series by Kay Applegate. That's what sustained my love for reading. And it's been a love affair ever since. 
Now, your short story, Mari, was the first prize winner in the English language category for the Kisa Futures competition. Before we get to the story, what got you interested in writing in the first place? Uh, the UNDP competition, the Kisa Futures story was actually the first writing competition I've joined. I'd done a few poetry writing competitions in school, but those were very small. Um, you know, only maybe five people participated. This had 700 people. Wow, first prize on your first try. Congratulations and well done. And I guess, you know, in your own words, what is Marie all about? Well, um, around January 2020, I started reading a lot about surveillance studies for my work, for my research in um, science fiction and reality TV. And I read some top scholars like Kevin Haggerty and David Lyon. They're, they're surveillance scholars and they mention things like how we used to think of surveillance as a very futuristic sci-fi thing, a threat which was coming, but it's actually very much present already. Like world governments and businesses are profiling the population, our movements, and we've accepted it because it's told, we're told it's about security and you know, national health. And so a couple of months later, um, when the pandemic hit, I, I remember reading in the papers about how the, the media was criticizing China and saying China is practicing you know, inhumane rights. They're cracking down on Wuhan. They're monitoring their population. It's wrong. But in March, the rest of the world followed suit. And we started doing things which um, just a few months ago would have seemed intolerable. You know, we were giving the, um, the government our information about our movements. We we're checking in everywhere. And we accepted it because it's been presented as national health. So everything which um, the surveillance scholars I'd read about were, were talking about had come true much, much sooner than even they had anticipated, I think. So that's what really prompted uh, me to write Mari, that we're not as critical, I think, as we could be about how we're giving our information so freely to corporations and to, to big data, to mine and to profile us. And, you know, all, all three of us have, have read it, actually, and I think we've agreed that it's really quite chilling, to say the least. You know, it sounds like sci-fi, but it's all happening today. Um, and, and the title is Mari, which is very provocative. Is there a reason you went with that title? Uh, well, Kisa had, the Kisa's competition has two categories, English and Malay. And while my, my story is an English story, I also wanted to ground it very much in the local flavor. And I know uh, because I'm from the, from the field of literature, there's a lot of post-colonial issues about how when um, Malaysian writers write in English and we use Malay words, we italicize it as though Malay has suddenly become an other language. And we do it more for, you know, an imagined foreign reader than we would for our own people. So I, I was very um, sure that I wanted Mari to be a Malay word in an English story without italicizing it. And so I gave, I, I, I made the main title a Malay word in that sense to, to kind of strike that balance between um, the local and the global. And at the end of the story, I repeat the word Mari Mari again. So this, uh, you know, super advanced self-aware technology is beckoning us into a future that it knows it, because it can look back in the past and see you know, how we've behaved over the course of years, it's drawing us in. That's why uh, it's one in that sense. 
Well, it was scary, I can tell you that. Um, and of course, the story is set in the future in 2040. Talk to me about the process of writing the story. You know, what sort of um, research did you have to do to write it? Um, I actually only found out about the competition about three days before it ended. And I, I barely had any time for that as <laughs> okay. I was preparing for my uh, PhD assessment. So I told myself, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And why not just go for it? with only two plus days left. I did draw on my research, actually. As I said, I, I research a lot on, re, on surveillance studies, on um, tracking, monitoring of people and places. So, I, I, But I also read a lot about um, narrative styles and how writers are now um, capturing the language of the media, of technology. You know, they, they might represent um, a certain segment of text as an email, for instance, or a WhatsApp. And we're, we're now able to um, bring in mediated language into novels. So that made me very interested in trying to experiment whether I could, I could write in the voice of a highly advanced self-aware technology, reflecting on um, how humanity has bent over backwards to help it um, become the, the, the apex level uh, intelligence in the world. And I did draw on my research. So I read a lot about surveillance scholars, as I mentioned, and I integrated a lot of uh, narr- little narrative techniques. You know, how, how do you write in the language or the voice of technology? How would a, um, a super advanced computer speak about the world from its perspective? And how did you tap into your imagination for this story? I mean, as a writer, how do you get to that point? Oh, that's a very tough question. I, I'm not sure whether um, imagination is the word I would use. I relied very much on, I guess, rigorous research and reading. And my experience of, um, I, I'm from the field of literature, so I drew a lot of um, what I, I wrote what I know more than what I imagine in that sense. And what, what do you hope readers will, will take away from reading Mari? I would like um, people to to question more, to be a little more critical and self-aware about how, um, while it's, while all this checking in, you know, wherever we go, monitoring temperature scans, they're all for national help, but we should also base it very much on sound science and um, to be aware that there, it's very easy for our data to be abused one day or even today to, to have a little more caution in that sense, not suspicion, but caution. Caution is always a good thing. Um, And, you know, just pivoting back to today's observance of World Book Day, what are some books that you turn to over and over again for inspiration or, you know, that you just find yourself being drawn back to? Um, I tend to reread books where, as I mentioned, um, there's been an apocalyptic event, not necessarily in the world destruction or, you know, a global meltdown, but where society has been changed irrevocably on its own accord through its own decisions. So Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Sale is one, which I enjoy very much for the, the sense of the story of um, how we are so willing to give up uh, our current lives for a tyrannical future in a way, mm-hmm. but also very much um, the language that I would place with, the way she's very playful with words, um, the way she spins a phrase around, th- that's inspiring to me. So it makes me more self-aware of how language can be used playfully when one writes, as well as when one reads, or even just as when one thinks. 
And speaking of thinking and getting people to do that, you know, what would your advice be to parents trying to encourage their kids to read or to anyone who might have, you know, kind of gone off reading for whatever reason? I would um, encourage parents and teachers, especially teachers, to let students read whatever they love to read first, because that will get, you know, the love of reading um, growing into something that they're passionate about rather than forcing them to read what they, they think is an established canon. So especially um, in school, the students should be encouraged to read widely and enjoy what they're reading. Um, I'd say we're, we're trying very much to, to force a canon on them that um, it's dead white man's canon in that sense, like Shakespeare and everything. It might not be very relevant to a young child or to a teenager, but let them read young adult fiction or science fiction, something which is very much um, you know, it resonates with what they're going through, which is cutting edge, a little more contemporary. And they will they will see how literature is their world and it'll give them the skills to navigate the world. People always say that literature is timeless. It is, but it's also very time-centric and very time-sensitive. So let children read what they enjoy, like young adult fiction and sci-fi. It'll teach them how to move about through the world, how to negotiate with problems coming or... Um, with tricky situations, social situations. So enjoy, let them read whatever they, they wish. That's the first rule. Yeah, because I, I really feel that, you know, there's so much there, right? There's so much that we can explore. There's topics, different topics, formats, uh, genres that are out of the ordinary, you know. So yeah, the, the message they, they They can read comics and, you know, manga, anything which builds your vocabulary. People will be surprised at just how rich vocabulary um, the vocabulary of these genres can be. That they might not be very serious, quote unquote. And Matthew, we know that you are working on some research for your PhD. What exactly are you working on? I'm examining contemporary young adult novels which represent reality TV. And I'm asking how reality television is used as a technology to discipline and even to punish adolescents who don't show identities that conform to what um, corporations and businesses want them to perform on camera. And um, there's a struggle for identity and for self and for even just being an authentic human being in a highly mediated world where you're watched and you're surveilled. And, you know, um, the audience can decide whether you live or die, for instance, like in The Hunger Games, where suffering has been made a spectacular and entertaining pleasure for the masses to enjoy. And it's very um, poignant that it's young people's suffering that's marketed and commercialized. I'd say, yeah, kids should read, um, you know, contemporary young adult fiction, even science fiction, because it's so pertinent and so contemporary. They'll see a lot of themselves and their world in it. And all right, so that's expected to be ready next year. So we look forward to to reading your research when it comes out. Uh, But before we let you go, uh, do you have any last message for us this World Book Day? Say, um, Embrace reading because it can teach you a lot about yourself and give you the tools and the courage to um, face the day-to-day, whatever struggles. It's all been written about already. You, you can always find something um, that can suit you or guide you through books.
All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Matthew. That was Matthew Yap, the winner in the English language category for the Kesa Futures Writing Competition. Uh, and if you'd like to read his story, which is titled Mari and all the other stories, actually, that were shortlisted in the anthology, do head to thinkcity.com.my slash UNDP Kesa. That's right. And we've been asking you, um, you know, your favorite books. And we've got some um, messages here on Twitter. Uh, Kevin Thren uh, says that Malaysia needs to immediately rectify the uh, Marrakesh Treaty to let uh, the blind thrive because he says that there's a book famine among uh, blind Malaysians. And just just to contextualize that and uh, jog your memories, the Marrakesh Treaty is meant to, uh, you know... um, Increase access to specially adapted books with uh, blindness or, or visual uh, Im- uh, impairments. And, um, you know, he also says that um, uh, you may talk about books that have been read, but there are many books that have not been read by many communities due to inaccessibility and non-inclusive policies. So so I guess, you know, a call yeah. for to, to increase access to books for, for everyone. Um, now, Shengun says... Uh, he, so their favorite book is, uh, well, I can't name a favorite since lockdown has felt like forever, but I'm currently reading <laughs> this one from Farish Noor from Majapahit to Putrajaya. Witty as always, I'm enjoying it so far. And Malaysia has so much to learn from its forgotten history. Um, and we've also actually got one from Sue Ann. Uh, oh, there you, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so my colleagues are asking the most difficult question, but I'm loving the one I'm reading now. These Violent Delights by the Chloe Gong, which is uh, a retelling of Romeo and Juliet set in 1920s Shanghai with a mysterious pandemic taking over the city. (laughs) Clearly all of you in this team (laughs) have some issues that need sorting out. But, you know, if you have any favourite books that you'd like to share with us, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a WhatsApp message at 018-789-8899. We'd love to hear from you even after the show. So continue to send in those uh, thoughts to us. But that is all the time we have for today but if you want to message us on the group just look us up on Facebook just search for BFM The Bigger Picture you can drop us a message there and if you miss any part of the show you can always download the podcasts at bfm.my slash daily digest or you can find it on the BFM app but don't go anywhere coming up at 3pm on Live and Learn it's our favourite good things and uh, yeah. <laughs> what good things have you got in store for us Alright so um, I think uh, more, if, you, if you're a regular BFM listener you probably know of Kira Yusri and Tarma Pillay you know they're regular guests on uh, many of our shows um, so recently, they, they are, of course, the co-founders of uh, the youth advocacy group Undi18, um, that uh, who started the movement right to lower the voting age in Malaysia from 21 to 18, mm. um, which they've already successfully amended um, the constitution. It's just um, now waiting for it to be implemented. And um, this week, uh, both of them were chosen by Forbes for its annual 30 Under 30 Asia list. And they were listed under the social impact section um, for all their efforts right um, when it comes to promoting youth representation in politics. Um, as well as, you know, the now car, uh, very popular Parliament Digital Initiative. Mm-hmm. So um, loads to talk about. You want to talk about their journey, mm. you know, what inspired them and also um, why Malaysia needs to really, really implement the the, 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 the lowering of yeah. voting age like uh, ASAP. We need to do yeah. it now. And so they're going to be explaining all of that. Excellent. I should have done it yesterday, right? Um, well, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, that's coming up at 3 p.m. after the news. But that's it from us for the Daily Digest. This has been the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.